I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is Episode 3, The Carla Homolka Story. Hi, Amy. Hey, Megan. So I'm really excited to cover my case. I know that we sometimes begin by why we chose the case that we chose. And this one is one in which I really have substantial questions about the justice system, about personality disorders. This one almost has it all. And I find myself, you know, gravitating towards, especially towards female cases in which there is a crossover between victim, offender, Mm -hmm. And in which there are just so many factors at play here. So I will say this case has been one I've been fascinated about by and also angered by a lot. So I think you'll hear why and I'll get to that. So let me start. First of all, have you ever heard of Carla Homolka? I've heard the name, but I have to be honest, I do not know the case. You got me two times in a row. I love it. I'm sure that won't be the theme for the rest of our lives, but it's good because it's helpful when you know we don't know so much about it. It's a little more boring if you know everything about it and we're just nodding at each other in this room. So, okay, let me start with Carla Homolka. So Carla was born in 1970 and grew up in Ontario, Canada as one of three girls in a seemingly normal household. Her father was a Czechoslovakian immigrant, and her mother was a native Canadian. She was the eldest, Carla was the eldest of three girls, and her 
Her household gave the impression of middle-class normal, but her father did have a drinking problem that was noted and at times would fight with Carla's mother, at times would fight with Carla and her sisters. It was said that Carla would sort of mouth back at him and, you know, dismiss him, but they still had a good relationship and there was never any type of violence reported in the home, so never any physical violence. Carla was smart, she was pretty, popular, and she loved animals reportedly from a young age, which is why she became a veterinarian tech after she graduated high school. But there were also reports that Carla was bossy and controlling from a young age, but not outwardly violent. So let's be clear about that. We could never find anything, any reports of violence in her background. She could be happy. She could have, I heard this, I mean, this to me sounded very uh, standard for teenage stuff, though. She could be happy. She could have highs. She could have lows. At some point, she had an interest in the occult in high school, but who doesn't at some point, you know, describing a sort of goth period for her that was short. But it doesn't seem that that was serious. Carla had boyfriends in high school. As I said, she was pretty and popular. And she was sexually active, but nothing serious until she met Paul Bernardo. And this meeting would change everything. How old was she at that point? Carla was 17 when okay. she met Paul. Now, have you heard of his name, Paul Bernardo? No, but I'm assuming he plays a huge part in this story. He does. Okay. So who is Paul Bernardo? Paul was a handsome, smart, and charming 23-year-old when Carla met him in Toronto in October 1987. This was or following a pet convention. She and a friend went to have a bite and to eat in the hotel. It's a pet convention. I want to go to one. You know, I was thinking the same thing. Well, I guess she was a veterinarian. I know, but it just sounds so fun. It does, actually. (laughs) So is this for veterinarians or is it like you bring your dog and hang out? I don't know. Uh, it's like puppy bowl. I'm not sure. Uh, well, I know that she and her friend, so they, they went, they were staying at a hotel. Now she's young too. She's 17. She's by herself. They're having a bite to eat in the hotel and in or in the hotel restaurant and in walks Paul Bernardo. And by all accounts, it was literally like they locked eyes. The heat was on the intensity, the electricity, you could feel it in the room. And that's how their friends described it. So they meet. And uh, just a couple hours later, they are back in Carla's room having sex. They quickly intensified. They they kind of quickly were drawn to each other. And they didn't wait that long there, huh? No, they sure <laughs> didn't wait that long. Uh, they 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 quickly gravitated towards each okay. other. So, all right, let let's find out a little bit more about Paul. So, Paul's home life was different than Carla's, though. Paul was the youngest of three children, and his father was problematic or his relationship with his father was his pa- his father was a known peeping tom and he was also an accused child molester oh. who was accused of actually sexually abusing paul's sister oh. and then so there's a strain in the family but then paul finds out from a, an argument that he had with his mother when he was about 15 or 16 she tells him you know he's not even your real father so if paul finds out that he was actually the product of an extramarital affair and he became infuriated, infuriated with his mother. I'm sorry, how old was he when he found this out? He was 15 or 15. 16. Okay, so this was earlier. I just wanted to... It was earlier. He was angry at his mother, though, and reportedly after that, you know, he starts degrading her, calling her names, and there is... An... So the sexual offender was actually his stepfather? Yes, because it's not mm. technically... He was raised as okay. his real father, but technically... Biologically, not... okay. Good to clarify, though, there was no bio- biological thread connecting Got the two. 
Paul and his mother and the father, the relationship is very strained and it deteriorates. But Paul went on to the University of Toronto in Scarborough and he became an accountant after graduating. And so by all, I mean, by all standards, you're looking at this guy who is successful and, you know, he's got a good career. Interesting fact or fun fact. They also said that Paul wanted to be a male rapper. I'm... (laughs) I think he had some like equipment, like some equipment in his house. And I think he may have composed a little and, you know, maybe dabbled in it. He did not make it in that regard. But it's just a it's it's an aside kind of thing. So Carla thought when she met him, this was it. She met her dream man. And she quickly proved that she would do anything for Paul. Paul relished being the master. He was a dominant personality. He was older than her. Carla was very pretty and popular, but from what I read and understood, she wasn't that self-confident. And so I think when she got the attention from Paul, she felt like she had hit the lottery, but she didn't know immediately. She would find out rather quickly, though, that Paul had violent tendencies. And the women that he dated before Carla had reported ending their relationships with Paul when he became abusive, degrading, and actually violent. So he's got a history of violence. Her family likes Paul, even though they understand that there's a six-year age difference. And I'm not sure about you, but my family wouldn't have been happy about that. I remember when I was 17 dating someone who was actually 22, mm. and I lied about yeah. the age. I said he was like 19 or 20. This would sorry, not have... Sack. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> But this is, you know, it's a significant age gap. Not yeah. when you're older, but 17 course, to 23 yeah. is. And there's an emotional maturity that obviously is... Dif- and is that even legal? I guess in Canada, the age... I was thinking the consent. same thing, but I guess it must have been yeah. 17. I think it was legal. So at the same time, there's something else going on. At the same time in 1987, or let's say between 1987 and 1990, there was a serial rapist plaguing Scarborough. And the police formed a task force. The, I think they called it the Green Ribbon Task Force. They collected and submitted DNA samples. They were, you know, investigating. And the rapist had attacked several girls before they actually got, I, won't, I don't want to say lucky, but they got lucky in that one of the victims was able to give a very detailed sketch And so she met with a sketch artist and they put together a composite sketch and they released the composite sketch. And it looks, just so you know, exactly like Paul Bernardo. Did you actually look it up? Oh, yeah. You have to look it up. Oh, yeah. Look it up. Okay. Okay. Because, you know, when we see these sketches. Well, like Bill McGuire's. That's right. When we cover Melanie McGuire, we talk about these. And and a lot of sketches, the likeness you can't see or maybe you can interpret it and say, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But, but this was a pretty good match. You're going to look it up. And people okay. who are listening, please do look it up. We encourage you. I, I would call this, um, not to be like kitschy, but I would call this a dead ringer. What happened was the police released the sketch as like front page news and they get calls flooding in. And a lot of these calls are saying, this is Paul Bernardo. Like we know this guy. Okay. So they're, they put him on the list, right? They interview Paul. They call him into the station. What do you think? Amy's looking it up. I just want to know. Amy's looking it up right now. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, it's uh, they had a pretty good artist there. I mean, that's pretty good. good. Yeah. I think it's good. It's pretty good. Okay, so the police call him in because so many people called to say, I really think this is Paul Bernardo, okay? So they interview him. He comes in. He sits down. He talks to them. He, he actually matter-of-factly says something like, yeah, I saw this composite, and I have to admit, it looks a lot like me, right? And so they ask him for a DNA sample. So what do you think he says to that? No. Wrong. Paul he, says, yeah. he goes, sure. They take a DNA sample from him in 1990, okay? 
At the time, I believe they said, and this is, you really understand, this is early in DNA yeah. science. You teach about this. Mm-hmm. So you, this is this is before we really got mm-hmm. familiar with using DNA. It became regular. I think at the time they may have had one forensic scientist who was doing the testing. And I think they had, I mean, I know they had thousands of samples. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, this composite sketch looks exactly like him. You have several tips calling it in. Yeah. I think like you have to prioritize. I don't know that they did that as opposed to just put it on the shelf and whatever order it came in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the DNA sample goes on the shelf. Paul has given it. He leaves. He would think that he would be, you know, nervous if he was doing something wrong. But Paul seemed, they said, pretty comfortable. And sorry if this is an obvious question, but he lived in the area in which these crimes were occurring? He sure did. Okay. He lived in the area. Okay. So here's what happens. He and Carla, they are dating. They are, you know, very, very close. Carla does realize, though, that Paul has these violent fantasies. The thing also is that Paul is upset because Carla was not a virgin when they met. He wanted a little virgin, as he would say. And so Paul had become obsessed with Carla's 15-year-old sister, Tammy. So this might not be relevant, but one of my students today was wearing a shirt that said Virginity Rocks. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Male or female? Male, sorry. I just couldn't not share that. There you go. Everyone's thinking about virginity today. So, okay, Paul became obsessed with Carla's 15-year-old sister, Tammy, because Tammy was a virgin. And Paul was overtly obsessed with her, telling Carla. That's so creepy. I, I would think so, she's too, right? She's a child. Well, she's a ch- well Carla's 17. But Tammy's 15. Uh, agreed. Yeah. I think they're both a little young. But the thing is here, you would think that he was, you know, he would tell Carla this and she would be horrified and revolted. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, I don't think she liked it. Don't get me wrong. But Tammy, uh, Paul would flirt with Tammy and Tammy and Paul would spend some time alone together. And I think reportedly they actually went out one night together to a party. And Paul later told Carla that they made out. What? Yes, her sister and, and him. So this is nothing yet, just so you guys know. What Paul really wanted for what he wanted for himself was Tammy's virginity. This story is, this is pretty bad, okay? Okay. Carla works for a, a vet tech, right? Mm-hmm. She stole a halothane. Have you ever heard of halothane? It's an anesthetic. So it's used to put animals to sleep. I She's, think I know where this is going and I'm not comfortable with it. I don't think you're going to be comfortable with any of this, okay? She stole halothane, this anesthetic, from the veterinary clinic where she worked. And on December 23rd, 1990. After Carla's parents and her younger sister, because she had a third sister, second sister, sorry, went to sleep, they invited Tammy to stay up with them drinking. And of course, Tammy wanted to. I think she may have even liked Paul as Mm -hmm. well. You know, he was the good looking older older guy guy of, you know, my sister's boyfriend. So Tammy stayed up drinking. She was having rum eggnog and Carla slipped sleeping pills into Tammy's eggnog. And when Tammy passed out, Carla and Paul raped Tammy. What? Yes. And when I say Carla and Paul, they both raped her sister, filming it as well. And let me just tell you, they filmed it. These tapes would become very important, just like those journals you talked about. These tapes would become very important piece of this puzzle. They put sleeping pills, but Carla also then took that halothane on a rag and put it over Tammy's mouth and nose. Now, halothane is a powerful chemical, and it's not usually administered directly to the skin. So it burned her. So what happened was that while they were raping Tammy, she began to vomit and choke. 
Paul and Carla scrambled, okay? They start scrambling. They put Tammy's clothes back on her. They move her from the basement to her. I'm assuming she's unconscious at this point. She's totally unconscious, choking. She has vomit coming out of her mouth everywhere, but then she loses consciousness with the vomit. They said they attempted to revive her. They move her to her bedroom. They call 911. 911 responds and they tell them this that she's been drinking and she's just drank too much and gone, you know, over her limit. They transport her to the hospital, but Tammy never regained consciousness. She died? She died early in the morning of Christmas Eve. What? And what's even more absurd is that the police accepted Carla and Paul's version of events that Tammy got very drunk and began choking and eventually lost consciousness. Now, why this is so absurd? Maybe it looks like that. I'm going to ask you, and I'm actually going to ask the listeners to go ahead and search a picture of Tammy Homolka. You are going to see chemical burns on half of her face that are dark reddish and purple burns from the halothane. And when the police asked Paul about it, apparently what Paul and Carla said was that it must have been rug burns from when they moved her. I also heard, I don't know if they said it, but they possibly thought that it could have been burns from the, the acid from the vomit coming out of her That's mouth. A, those are some serious burns. I You're looking like, at the photo? Yes. They are some serious burns. It is shocking that this version of events was the one that was totally accepted. But what happened was that Tammy's death was ruled accidental and no charges were ever brought against Paul or Carla. But Paul was obsessed with Tammy even after this and actually... Paul was angry with Carla, very angry. Because Tammy died? Correct. So he said, you killed her. So to appease Paul, because Paul now starts stepping out. Carla may have thought Paul was having affairs or doing other things. He was doing other things. What he was doing, we'll get to in a little bit. But to appease Paul and basically to keep him, Carla invited other unsuspecting girls over to their house. So even after Tammy's death, she's inviting Tammy's friends over like, hey, come hang with us, party with us. We're like the cool older people we will get you booze. And what they were doing really is drugging and raping them and filming it all. One of the girls was even actually, I believe, at Carla and Paul's wedding. The girls had woken up. A couple of them woke up and had no idea what happened because they were so substantially drugged. They knew that they drank too much. These are young girls, but they didn't know at the time or didn't report that they had been raped. So this activity, it just went on with the two of them engaging in this. So Tammy dies and Carla and Paul would marry six months after and just two weeks after a girl named Leslie Mahaffey went missing. Can I just ask a quick question? Sure. Do you know if Tammy's parents suspected any foul play? This is the best question because they they accepted totally at face value as well that this was the version of events. They, I, At most, I assume, or I can't even assume, but at most they may have blamed Carla and Paul for giving Tammy alcohol yeah. for being a minor. But no, they did not, they did not suspect anything else. Because why would you ever think that someone's sister would ever do that? Of course. And they loved Paul. They yeah. thought he was a great guy. Yeah. So uh, they didn't think wow. that anything was wrong here. Again, I said this is two weeks after a young girl named Leslie Mahaffey goes missing. Who's Leslie Mahaffey? Well, one night in June 1991, Paul is out cruising at like 2 a.m. And we'll get to, you know, why he's cruising around. But Can't he, be for any good reason. No one's cruising around at 2 a.m. for any good reason yeah. unless you are like a patrol officer, yeah. you know. Uh, Paul spots 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey outside of her house and she's locked out. Paul offers her a cigarette and I think he tells her some bogus story about how he's going to like rob one of the neighbors and maybe being a little bit rebellious and you know thinking he's kind of a cool guy like 
you know, we can't say why, but Leslie took him up on his offer to have a cigarette with him. And so Paul said, oh, okay, well, just come back to my car with me. I have a cigarette. But remember, you just looked at the picture of Paul. He looks young. Yeah. He's not, remember, our monsters, <laughs> they don't look like what we think they're going to look like. So Leslie went back to Paul's car with him. And when she did, he basically forced, forced her at knife point into his car. And then he brought her back to the house where he lived with Carla. Over the next 24 hours, the two of them raped this poor girl repeatedly. They raped her, they sodomized her, and they filmed the whole thing, by the way, because Paul fancied himself something of a cameraman as well, a producer. He made the girl say, just like he had made, he was very degrading, he made, you know, Leslie and Carla always refer to him as the king and, and, and refer to themselves in degrading ways. And they, I mean, they filmed this poor girl, they filmed her, cry, you know, she was crying in pain and she's terrified. And they taped this and the, the film here, the tape would show that Carla also participated in the act of sexual assault. So just keep that in mind, okay? After they were finished with her, there was a problem. Apparently, they had had some type of a blindfold over her uh, face, but I believe the blindfold came off mm -hmm. and she got a look at Paul. And so after- She saw him anyway when they were smoking a cigarette, or, you know, uh, when they first met. She did, yeah, yes. Okay. Same, good point. Mm -hmm. But Carla, maybe at this point, I think that they, uh, Bernardo knew that he was going to have to get rid of her. And so Carla gave her some sleeping pills and then Paul went in and strangled her with an electrical cord. It took more than one, like he kept strangling her because she kept gasping for air. So here, here's what's the, this gets worse though for me. Um, when they finally choked the life out of her, he decided that, you know, how, how are they going to get rid of her? So they decided to dismember her. Now, we've dealt with this issue of dismemberment in the Melanie McGuire case, and we know a lot about it. He decided to dismember her. So he got plastic tarps, and he did this in the basement. But then he also went out, apparently, and got that quick, dry cement, and he encased her body parts in cement blocks. And then he actually threw them, and I think it was eight to ten blocks, in a lake near St. Catharines in Ontario, Canada. Fishermen found her body on the day Carla and Paul got married. And dental work at least quickly helped identify the girl as Leslie Mahaffey. Wow. And that's how Leslie Mahaffey was found after being missing for two weeks. So Tammy was the accidental murder, but this was intentional. Yeah. After Leslie Mahaffey, there's another girl that they encounter. Are they actively seeking out people at this point? Or is it crime of opportunity? Paul is actively seeking okay. out people. And I, I believe it was always Paul that was actively seeking out people. And even though this may spoil it for you later, I'll just let you know that Paul was the Scarborough rapist. And during the time yeah. that he is also doing this, he is also actively raping women still. And Carla knows about it. He would go out and say, I'm going out to, so you know, rape he, someone. And Carla would know that he was is sexually... Is he assaulting Carla at this point, too? Carla reports that he was. She says that he was. It's disputed whether or not she's... This is going to come into play, but it's disputed whether or not she fits the mold of, like, a battered woman. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay, what happens after Leslie Mahaffey? Is that the last murder they would commit? Unfortunately, not. 15-year-old Kristen French would be abducted while walking home from school on April 16, 1992. But this time, it was a more brazen abduction. And this time, it was both Carla and Paul 
who abducted her in broad daylight. So Carla and Paul were driving and pulled over into a church parking lot when Kristen was walking by. Carla was in the passenger seat and she got out and pulled out a map and pretended, hey, we're lost and could you help us? And they asked Kristen for directions and they look like normal people, right? So of course Kristen got closer to help and when they did, she was accosted and forced into the backseat of the car. I don't know if it was at knife point or what, but they forced her in and they sped away in their gold Nissan. And why this would be important was because actually a lot of eyewitnesses saw saw this abduction. Really? Yes. People saw it. They called in, but a number of them reported that it was a beige Camaro that the assailants were driving. And so the police plastered signs of beige Camaro everywhere. Right. So they were looking for a, a Camaro car. and a Nissan don't even resemble each other. Do I don't they? think so. Maybe I, certain models. Do. Maybe certain models. I didn't think that much. So. But the odd thing is that multiple people reported beige Camaro. And, you know, you know, with eyewitnesses, sometimes the they feel information effect and they feel so certain. It was like, I'm certain this was it. So this was the only lead police had to go with. I'm wondering if all the witnesses were there together and someone heard one person refer to it. Because that's how the misinformation effect works. That's a one really, person could have implanted that idea. That's a really good question. I actually don't know. Jeez. Oh, but it's a great question. Poor girl. Oh yeah, no, no. Her and her her story is much worse actually. And I saw the press conference by her father, so I'll talk about this. But they kept uh, Kristen alive for several days. They tortured oh. her. They raped her. They forced her to watch a press conference that was given by her father. It's it's so upsetting when you see the press conference and the father crying and just you know. We love you and we're doing everything we can and we're going to... At least g- she knows before she died. I'm assuming she died. At least she knows that her family was looking and they loved her. She did know this, yes. They forced her. I guess Paul was forcing her to drink to try to you know, loosen her inhibitions, degrading her, making her say terrible things. But in the end, I have to tell you, Kristen defied him. And we threatened to kill her in the end, according to uh, a book I read. And we'll definitely throw some of these sources up so people can see. But in the end, Kristen said some things are worth dying for because she wouldn't consent. She wouldn't say it. Yeah, I thought so as well. Uh, You know, unfortunately, it didn't work out well for her. But that certainly sounds like she was okay with that. Like you said, some things are worth dying for. I think she thought at first she was going to escape. But I think she probably came to realize that that probably wasn't going to happen. And she wasn't going to go down by degrading herself. So uh, what courage on a 15 year old girl? Yeah, that's amazing. I I find that to be one of the most impressive parts. Unfortunately, they killed her on Easter in 1992. And they dumped her body in a ditch. Her body was discovered, I believe it was rather quickly. And the police luckily were able to link the cases together. They linked Leslie and Kristen. They had similar injuries. They were on the same age. They were not found far from each other. And they sought help from the FBI, actually, which is interesting because this was in Canada. But an FBI profiler said that, you know, this was likely someone who was a young male in his 20s, which often happens, but they did pinpoint the 20s. So a young male in his 20s who is physically abusive to his current partner, probably, or has a history of violent sex crimes. Mm-hmm. That and fits the bill. He, so they did. They, they had a profile that fit the bill. So what happens now with Carla and Paul? By the way, Carla also participated in the sexual assault on Kristen French. Carla participated in all of the sexual assaults. None of the murders? Ah, that's a good question. So we'll see about that later. All right, so what happens with Carla and Paul? Carla says that they that Paul had been abusive, but there's no documented abuse ever until 1993. So Carla and Paul had a fight in January 1993, and Paul beat Carla 
severely with I a saw flashlight. That Is that the two black eyes? That's the two black eyes. They call it the raccoon picture. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he he beat her in the face so badly. You saw the black and blues mm-hmm. for people who uh, question whether or not it was real. Take a look and you'll see it was very real. Carla was put in the hospital and Carla moved out after that. Now, it's kind of interesting because things, when they went down, they went down pretty fast. So believe it or not, Carla moves out and finds a new boyfriend real quick. So it was interesting because Paul was the love of her life and sort of her master. And How whatnot. long have they been together at that point? A couple of years? Paul and Carla were together at that point for almost six years. Okay. And she finds a new boyfriend. I just thought that, that it's really not relevant to the story, but I thought it was an interesting part. You know, the people who are under someone else's seeming control, I don't know how quickly that happens. Shortly after, though, Paul's DNA is finally processed. This is after, by the way, about two and a half years. They process his DNA. Remember, they collected yeah. it in 1990. Okay. So the DNA confirms what you and I already know yep. and what people probably already Figured know, out, that yeah. he is, in fact, the Scarborough rapist. Police then linked this DNA match to Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. And so they know that they're onto Paul Bernardo, mm-hmm. and they realize not only is he the Scarborough rapist, but he's also the killer of these young girls. Ironically, at the same time, Carla files a police report against Paul for the domestic assault. So the police use this opportunity as a chance to interview Carla. Now, Carla thinks she's being interviewed about the domestic, but they really know they're going in to find out everything they can find out. Remember, she's leaving her husband now. Mm-hmm. They don't know what, if any, role she plays. She may be the unsuspecting one. So she almost implicated herself in a way. Exactly, Amy. She did. I'm glad you pointed that out. If she had not gone forward, we don't know if this would have turned out differently. But Carla realizes pretty quickly that the police are on her trail as well. And she winds up telling her family the truth about the crimes that she committed. And the fam- her sister as well? Or did she wait on that one? I mean, did she admit that she had a part? She did admit that she had a part in Tammy's murder as well. And I'll talk about the impact it may have had on her family. Her family rallies around her, though, and they get her a lawyer. And what happens is they start negotiating, of course. And Carla winds up getting a, a lawyer who would advocate for her to get immunity. And... The Crown said no, because she had admitted that she was a a part of the crimes, but she... She didn't probably say how much a part. She misrepresented her role, I would say. She said that I was there. Uh, I sometimes held a camera. So she agrees to testify against her husband for a deal. And I'll tell you what the deal was in a minute. Paul is arrested on February 17th, 1993. One of the things that Carla had told them was that I did do this, we did these crimes, and there are videotapes. So after he is arrested, the police execute an extensive search of their property. I mean, it took like, I think it was something like over a month. They just kept going back to the house and searching. The problem was that the police could not find the tapes that Carla was referring to. Second of all, I'm not really sure why Carla would have informed them about the tapes, knowing what they were going to reveal about her. Yeah, I was going to say they implicated her. I don't know if she thought it would prove, it would corroborate what I'm saying, that Paul is this person. I'm not sure if she knew how much DNA they had. So what happens? Well, first of all, this was actually coined as the deal with the devil. Carla was given a 12-year sentence in exchange for a plea, in exchange for her testimony against her husband, Paul Bernardo, in his trial in May 1995. 
She testified against him for 17 straight days, which what? is uncharacteristically long. The only other person I know who's testified for that long is Jody Arias. Please tell me that it was videotaped. I'm sure. I mean, it, was, it wasn't on like court TV or anything. It was so not. I, so uh, there was, uh, this was an odd thing. And a lot of, I guess, Canadians were upset about this. There was a lot of, there was a ban on press. Uh, Some press were allowed in. I don't believe they filmed it. It wasn't released to the public. Okay. There was, they wanted to, the press wanted to be in, I guess, also on Carla's plea deals because they had a, she had to make like an allocution, yeah. but they were banned from that. And they were a little, ang people were angry what about that. What did she that. plead guilty to? Assessment? Manslaughter. Manslaughter. For Manslaughter. No, that. not for her sister, for Leslie Mahaffey and for Kristen French. And she only got 12 years for. To run concurrently, which means together. So she gets 12 years. Paul, however was convicted on several counts of murder, aggravated sexual assault, kidnapping, and other violent crimes. I think there were nine or 10 in total, and that would even seem low to me, to be honest. But what also emerged during trial was the tapes. It turns out Paul's lawyer had found the tapes, and he held them. He Because he was using them against Carla? Well, the know, thing was, that point. she had a plea deal in place so at that point. she got immunity. She didn't get immunity. Well, she did. She got a deal. For okay. her participation, she was getting 12 years not to be prosecuted past that or for anything else. But his lawyer finds these tapes and holds on to them, and they do come out at trial, and people are horrified. So what was the strategy there? How would they help his client? No, I think he did intend to use them against Carla, but it just happened. The plea happened too quickly, and then he had them. And then I think it was a question. Oh, no, I did read something. It was a question of, well, what do I do now? Because do they, they show Paul doing all these bad things, but they also show Carla. And what the tape showed was Carla was not a bystander. She was not a victim. She so was, maybe it was just vindictive. At that it point. wasn't vindictive. It was strategic. The strategy just yeah. didn't work. But what he was supposed to do, when you find tapes, the physical evidence, he was supposed to turn those over to the police. And then he probably should have resigned as the attorney. If you have, we both know, if you have a, a client, um, there's attorney-client privilege, but not when an attorney discovers physical evidence of the crime. At that point, he was obligated to turn that evidence over. So he didn't turn that evidence over for something like 16 months. He was prosecuted <laughs> later for obstruction of justice. And I believe possession of child pornography because they showed underage wow. children. He, the charges were actually dropped against him. But that is, you know, so the tapes come out. People are horrified because Carla has gotten this deal of 12 years. And when they saw, she was active. She raped the girls. She egged Paul I'm assuming on. they didn't show it in public. It was just reported So here's on. what happened. Uh, they did not show the tapes, but they played the audio. The only people who were ever shown the tapes were the jury members. Oh, and the jury was shown. The, the jury tape. was shown the tapes. Wow. They had to see the tapes. But the jury, uh, after the trial was over and after all of the legal proceedings were concluded, the tapes were destroyed. Okay, so Paul was convicted and Paul gets life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years, but he's designated as a dangerous offender, which basically means in Canada, you're never going to get parole. And he was quite young. He was, point, right? he was 31 when he went so to trial. So 25, is, he'd still be pretty young. So. Oh, that's correct. Yes. And what happened, though, at trial was really interesting. So the defense never tried to say that Paul wasn't a rapist. What they said, though, was that he wasn't the killer. Carla was. And how they showed that, they said, well, obviously, Carla is jealous. He brings these girls into the home. He starts paying attention. Carla had actually described at one point being annoyed because... I was mad because Paul used our good champagne glasses with one of the girls, the girls that he was raping and killing. And so they they argue it was actually Carla who was the Carla's the one who's put in halothane, given him sleeping pills. 
And they said, look, he's a serial rapist and he's a bad guy, but he never killed one person until Carla Homolka came into the scene. So she's the real bad guy. Regardless, the jury didn't buy it, okay? So Carla was sentenced. By the way, Carla started her 12-year sentence while she's testifying against Paul. Mm-hmm. You have a question before I go on and give us the conclusion? It just, it just occurred to me. This is the Ken and Barbie killers, isn't it? And I was going to say that at some point, but yes, it is. No. The media dubs them, and I okay. should have said this earlier. No, it, because I didn't think I knew the case because it was the media, again, like you said, dubbed them the Ken and Barbie killers. So I knew the Ken and Barbie killers. And then as the case is going, I'm like, this sounds familiar. The media dubbed okay. them Ken and Barbie because they were both, they were both so blonde and good looking. Both yeah. blonde and beautiful. And there's pictures of them. They're, yeah. they're in their bathing suits and they're smiling. And again, they don't look anything like the monsters we think they're going to look like Mm -hmm. so carla is sentenced to her 12 years she serves her time in a canadian prison in quebec but after her 12 years she is released and she did an interview it was reported she kind of had a high profile she didn't have such a bad time in prison so they showed pictures of her she had some relationships in prison with women she made the most she got uh, i believe a degree in prison so she uh, she i don't even think she complained about it but When she was released, she relocated at one point to a Caribbean island for some time. She changed her name. Was she on parole or just released? She maxed out? So she had some type of supervised release right after. But once that was up, she she went. Yes. But then she came back to Canada. And it turns out she got married and had three children. And guess who she married? Who? Her lawyer's brother. Her lawyer's brother? Correct. I know. It's, It's like, who would think that this would be a great candidate for marriage? Her lawyer's brother. So she has three children. I think it was shocking. So the press wasn't able to find her for a long time because she went under another name. It was Leanne. And when they found her, they saw that she was carrying. um, What's that called? You know, you have kids. The thing you put babies in. Like a baby carrier? (laughs) A baby carrier. Car seat? I don't know. One of those things. Okay. So, you know, and then it was like reported. Carla Homolka has a child. Now, she came up again in the news recently. So not too long ago, there was uh, the press found her and they found that she was volunteering at the elementary school of one of her children. And the people, the parents there were outraged. They were in an uproar. Someone outed her. Oh, yeah, she was outed. Uh, She was outed and people were super angry because here what you have is a, a woman who's committed sexual crimes against children volunteering. It didn't take the school long to prohibit that type of volunteer service. But Carla did remarry and she does have three children. And I'm, I, I'm sure that they're going to have quite the price to pay for, you know, the sins of the mother. Paul Bernardo came up for his first parole in 2018 and he was denied. And I am certain he will be denied always. I think that Paul will remain in prison for the rest of his life. Paul was designated on the the hair scale of psychopathy, you know, that mm-hmm. checklist for how you mm-hmm. determine a psychopath. He was, he rated very high. Interestingly, Carla did not. But I looked back and I, I looked back at the, I have kind of the cheat sheet. And when I scored her and, you know, granted, I'm not the expert here necessarily on psychopathy per se, but she wasn't low, but she wasn't high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Carla has traits of antisocial personality. I think that she's also very vacant. You know, they showed some videos of her actually going through the house when they wanted her to detail the crimes. And she was like, can I have that book or can I have that rug? I want to take this with me. I should clean this. You know, she was sort of disconnected from reality. She did sound disconnected. So here's my opinion in the end, this case. okay. first of all, I don't know why they didn't rescind the plea offer. 
So they let the plea offer stand. The prosecutor, the crown there, felt that Carla was a victim. But she lied. And here, and I, I believe it's Did the same. Did she lie on the stand? No, she didn't. Okay. But she lied. And when you make a plea agreement, when your plea agreement is contingent upon the information you give panning out. Mm-hmm. Carla's information was a lie. And they found out that it was a lie. So I think technically they could have rescinded that offer. Well, also, when they saw the videotapes, they could have rescinded that offer. Because they saw that she played a much larger part. That's what I'm saying. They, oh. they could have rescinded, but they chose not to. And the crown stuck by the deal. The, the public was absolutely outraged about it. Secondly, I think the deal was too short regardless. So Carla did use a battered woman syndrome. And you can decide for yourself. And I, I hope that listeners will decide for themselves what they think. But I think that it was much more, Carla was a much more active participant. And in battered woman syndrome, it is really about the fear of your abuser. And I have to say that I'm not sure if in this case, I think she feared Bernardo in some ways, but I think what she feared more was losing Bernardo. I think she wanted to keep him at all costs. And I think she kept engaging in these crimes to get further and further deeper in because she didn't want to be without him. And she did say something to this effect later on. I think we can assume our, I, I don't know. What do you think about her sentence? I think it was too short. I think the fact that there's all those victims and she's able to live a life and have children and be married. It's just she's her not victims a, were not afforded that opportunity. I know she was young when she got sentenced, so she reinvented herself. But I don't I don't feel like there's remorse there from the little bit I've heard. No, I haven't seen a really remorseful Carla Hamulka really ever. To be honest, I mean, the fact that she could do that to her own sister shows a different type of evil. I think so. I think so, too. And I think that was the point, too, you know, that she actually if you think about it, she actually did this to her sister. She raped her sister and she killed her sister. Did her family disown her once. So here I, if I said I would tell you this. Uh, apparently her family stood behind her and they felt that she also was victimized. And, you know, I think that Carla had said that they hated what she did and they hated that part of her but they felt that bernardo was really she was a battered woman and that she was doing that's this. a cop out i'm sorry i'm very sympathetic to women who are abused and women who claim battered woman syndrome but i don't feel that way in this case at all yeah i don't feel that way in this case either and i've reviewed a lot i know this case really you know pretty well i should say and i so don't there's no other evidence of her being abused besides that one time with the two black eyes she told friends that he was uh, verbally abusive, but I don't know of any other physical injuries uh, aside from that one, which was very brutal. Don't get me oh, wrong. Of course, that's not okay. This was also at the end of their relationship, though, too, at the very, very end. Not when she was victimizing those other girls. Exactly. So I, I guess we won't know how to disentangle this. For better or for worse, though, Carla Homolka is a free woman today, and Paul Bernardo is in prison likely for the rest of his life, which I think is, that is probably the right place for him. So let's hope future parole boards agree. And that's it for today. Thanks everyone Thanks, for listening. Megan. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Our music is composed by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, you can get access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash womeninquire.
The sources I used for this episode included articles from the Toronto Sun, the Ken and Barbie Murders by Peter Vronsky, and a documentary by Serial Killers Documentaries. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.